This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, two openings of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and uh, Luke chapter 10. We've been uh, teaching for uh, several weeks on uh, the subject of spiritual dominion, and I want to conclude that series this morning and kind of wrap some things up. We've been using as a, um, um, a text scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, which speaks of the creation. It tells what God's original plan for man was, why he created man to begin with. Genesis 1.26, it said, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Please notice that God made man for the purpose of having dominion. Now, the word dominion means to rule or to reign over. God made man as to be the God of this world. Now, some people have a hard time with that phrase. But it, and, and it doesn't mean that he made God or that God made man as his equal in the sense that he, God is the creator of the universe. Man is certainly not, can't be, and so forth. But he made man to be the ruler or the one in charge over this earth. And we know that man lost that position when he was deceived by Satan. Or actually the Bible says uh, Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. And so they, uh, their authority was usurped by the devil and now 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan is the God of this world. Now, the word world means age. Uh, Satan is not the God of this world for eternity. He's the God of this age until Jesus comes back for the church and, and sets things in order. But for a period of time, ending with, um, um, well, as far as the church is concerned, ending with the rapture, as far as the world is concerned, ending with the tribulation, Satan is the one that's in control. Now, for that reason, a lot of times people that don't understand how things work, don't understand what the Bible says about these issues, uh, a lot of people blame God for the things that the devil's doing in the earth. I know, uh, I don't know if it's a common thing now, but it used to be a common thing for um, uh, earthquakes and hurricanes and things like that and insurance policies and so forth to be called acts of God. Well, God's not the one doing stuff to destroy people. John 10.10 says that the thief comes but for to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, but I'm come that you might have life. So anything that happens in the earth that kills, steals, or destroys is of the devil. No matter what label somebody attaches to it, it's the work of the devil. But that was a work that Jesus overcame when he came to the earth. We know in his earthly ministry, he operated in such a way that he had authority over the devil's power. He had authority over sickness. He had authority over disease. He had authority to do uh, even miraculous works that superseded the laws of nature. He walked on the water. He multiplied loaves and fishes. He did other such miracles. And as a result, everybody that came to him, even the religious leaders that didn't believe in him, recognized this guy is not the, your average prophet. He's got, some said, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to him and said, Master, we know that you come from God because nobody can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So they recognized that God was the only one that could change the physical laws of nature and do the miracles that Jesus did. That was culminated in uh, John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was the ultimate sign to the people, sign to Israel that this indeed is the Messiah. 
Now, the problem with, uh, with most of the church's understanding about Jesus and his miracle working power is that they think that he did it because he was the son of God. But if he had done it because he was the son of God, how could he give that authority to other people who were not the sons of God? John, uh, uh, what did I tell you? Luke chapter 10. If you look with me over in Luke chapter 10, it tells about a story where Jesus gave this authority or delegated this authority to the 70. He's already given it to the 12. But now he sends out 70 into the, uh, the surrounding territory cities that he would go uh, plan to go to. He sent them to go before him. And he gave them certain instruction. He told them what to say. He told them what to do if the cities would receive him. And he said, even if the cities don't receive you, here's how you handle that. You shake the dust of your feet off against them and say, the kingdom of God was here, but it didn't do you any good because you refused it. Well, as a result, they come back and they report all the things that had happened. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 10. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. So they used the name of Jesus when Jesus was here on the earth. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now he's not saying that happened when you use my name. He's saying the reason my name works is because Satan is a defeated foe. Satan was cast down to the, into the earth before the Genesis account of creation ever occurred. We know that he must have been here because God told Adam and Eve to dress and keep the garden. Another translation says, or literally the, the Hebrew words mean to guard and protect it. Well, if there's not an enemy there, there's nothing to guard and protect it from. So Satan was already in the earth and God knew it when he looked at the earth and said, it's very good after the recreation. And then he said, by the way, there's an enemy out there. Beware of him. And they didn't. So where Jesus is saying that Satan fell as lightning from heaven, he's talking about when he was cast out of heaven, when he rebelled against God with a third of the angels. He's saying, literally, if you'll allow me to paraphrase this in my own way, he's saying the devil is not your problem. Jesus is very simply saying, oh, yeah, the devil is defeated. That's a fact, by the way. He is a defeated foe. He's still your enemy, but he's defeated. So Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, because Satan is defeated, because my name is greater, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Notice power is in that word twice in the English. But those are two different words in the Greek. The first word translated power means authority. The second word translated power means ability. So he's saying, I give you authority over all the devil's ability. And nothing shall by any means, that means there is no way around this, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, he didn't say nothing will hurt your neighbor. He didn't say nothing shall by any means hurt your loved ones. He didn't say anything about it being your authority being able to be restricted or directed in such a way that nobody else gets hurt. But he's talking about authority for the individual. See, we run into problems when it comes to the subject of authority. The church runs into problems when we try to make it work for somebody else. And, and to be honest with you, those lines are not always clear. It's not always clear how much authority you have over somebody else's situation or in somebody else's situation. I know there have been times where I've exercised authority that I've been surprised that it worked. There have been other times where I expected my authority would work and it didn't. I don't have answers for those things. I've talked to the Lord about it and I don't get an answer. But I do know this. I know that the physical laws of nature, when God created the earth, the physical laws of nature were set up in such a way that they work every time. Then spiritual laws have to be that way too. 
Are you hearing me? Spiritual laws have to work the same every time. If we, if, and I guess the key is for us to learn how to make those laws work or the boundaries under which those laws operate. Now turn with me to, uh, to back to Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you something here. If we can understand the basis for the laws of nature, and I, I, if you'll allow me this morning, I'm really just trying to tie up some loose ends. And we'll let the Holy Ghost lead us wherever he wants us to go. But that's one thing, probably the key point that the Lord has been dealing with me that started me on this uh, teaching this series anyway to begin with. And that is that the laws of nature are absolute, yet they can be overcome. The law of gravity, for example, is an absolute. You don't have to get out of the bed in the morning and put your foot on the floor to see if it's going to work. You don't give it a thought. You crawl out of bed. You don't hold your head in case you fly up and hit the ceiling. You expect it to work every time. Yet that law of gravity was superseded when Jesus walked on the water. That law of gravity will be superseded at the rapture, just like it was when Jesus was caught up in a cloud. You'll be caught up in the cloud when he comes back too. Well, that doesn't mean that gravity is suspended. It means that there's a greater power that will, that will supersede that law, that natural law of gravity. Jesus superseded the, some kind of physical law when he multiplied loaves and fishes. I don't know about you, but when I put food in my refrigerator, it does not multiply. That is not a natural course of things. Matter of fact, most of mine disappears. Right? But Jesus did something that superseded the natural laws. Whatever those laws, whatever law would be in, in effect that, that would govern that one. I, I don't even know how to define that one. But he did something that superseded the natural laws of nature or the, the natural laws, what we might call the laws of this earth, the laws of nature. So spiritual laws have to be the same because God created spiritual law in the same way that he created natural law. As a matter of fact, spiritual law was, was preceded or uh, was before natural law was ever created. Well, God's not going to be one way where it comes to natural law and a different way when it comes to spiritual law, right? So notice what natural laws were founded upon. Genesis chapter 1 Notice it says in verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Please notice that phrase, after his kind. Now, the word kind literally means species. So in other words, it's saying God created every species. So God created uh, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Notice this phrase, whose seed is in itself whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the seed yielding fruit, or the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Please notice that phrase, God saw that it was good. In other words, God said, this is the way it works. This is the way I make it. This is the way it works. This is the law of nature. What is the law of nature? That everything produces after its kind, And the seed is in itself. In other words, the source of producing results comes from within. We might summarize this and say, God created as natural law, the law of sowing and reaping. Because he's talking about things that grow in and of themselves or from themselves, from an inner source, an inner power. Well, if that's the law of nature and God said it was good, God never changes That's going to be the basis of spiritual law too. 
In other words, the seed comes from within. Now, within, the Bible talks about, uses different terms. It talks about the inward man. It talks about the inner man. It talks about the hidden man of the heart. All of those things have got to be talking about the real man, the real man on the inside, the spirit that God created in his image. All those terms are referring to the man on the inside. In other words, the seed from within. In other words, he's saying, or we could say it this way, spiritual law comes from the spirit of man. Spiritual law, the basis of spiritual law, the basis of sowing and reaping, the basis of producing after your own kind comes from the spirit of man. Now, here's the difference. In physical law, it comes down to the work of your hands. It comes down to actions and consequences. Spiritual law is a little different because there is no physical action. There is no spiritual action that's identified in the sense that we think of acting in, in uh, physical ways. See, we know, what the reaction, we know what the results of physical action are. If you drink, you get drunk. That's the physical reaction. If, if any, any action that you want to identify, that's why the Bible warns you. There's so much warning in the Old Testament about don't do this because there's a, there's a consequence. Don't do this because there's a result. I know a lot of people, especially young people, think that the, the commandments of God, the Old Testament commandments of God were given specifically so that you never have any fun. But the reality is God's trying to keep you out of trouble. And there are physical consequences, natural consequences toward physical actions that create a problem. I've had my son many times ask me to bail him out of his problems. And I said, son, I gave you the wisdom to keep out of the problem to begin with. But you didn't value what I gave you. Now you're in your trouble. Well, it's not exclusive to him. I did that myself. So maybe different issues, but some still the same results. Spiritually, it's a little different. And here's the difference. Spiritual forces aren't exercised by physical action. Spiritual forces are exercised by words. That's why words are such a key element. That's why Jesus said, by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. In other words, spiritual laws are released and put into effect through the words of your mouth. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, uh, here recently, in, um, uh, we were teaching a series on uh, prayer, different kinds of prayer, and the Lord brought to my remembrance a situation that happened while I was with Brother Hagin. Uh, there was a gentleman, young man that was 39 years of age, 
and uh, and uh, he well they thought that he had a stroke they really weren't sure what happened to him but the, the nearest thing that they described it as was a stroke and so he was in the hospital and he was in critical condition there was a, a blood clot on the brain as a result of whatever happened and uh, and he's at the point of death well 39 years of age he's got two small children wife and two small kids that's too young to die i think everybody would agree to that and so everybody started praying he he went to the hospital he prayed with family he came back to the um, to the office to the campus of the school and he he got everybody together most everybody had heard by the time he got back so he gathered us all together and said let's all pray and then we had some special prayer meetings that night and uh, the next night uh, for um, specifically for this guy's health and for him to come out of this situation and so we prayed first night prayed for a couple of hours said okay let's meet back here tomorrow night same time let's pray second night we're praying in the middle of the prayer meeting brother Hagen stands up and says okay we, we're done and uh, dismissed everybody and said thank you for praying God's word's true thank you that thank you father that you always hear and answer our prayers and and uh, kind of dismissed and it was kind of a, a, an abrupt or sudden thing well he told us later some weeks later after the situation had uh, um, well after the the guy died the end result was the guy died and he had the funeral and, and so forth he told us some uh, some weeks or maybe even a couple of months later that while we were praying the second night he said uh, uh, he spoke to the Lord in his prayer and he said Lord you're not hooking up together with me about this you're not taking hold with me on this now I guess I got to do a little background here on this uh, Romans eight twenty six says likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what to pray for as we ought. doesn't say we don't know what to pray for. It says we don't always know what to pray for like we ought to. In other words, when it comes to praying for other people, you don't always know their situation. Right? So he said, um, uh, Lord, you're not taking hold together with me. Here's why he said that. The word helpeth in Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word helpeth is made up from several different words. And it means literally this. To take hold together with against. And that's what Brother Hagin's saying. He's saying, Holy Spirit, you're not taking hold with me on this thing. And the Lord spoke back to him immediately and said, no, and I'm not going to either. He said, well, Lord, why not? He said, because in two days or three days, whatever the case was, I don't remember exactly. He said, in, in a few days, he's going to die. And Brother Hagin asked him, he said, but Lord, he's 39 years old. He's too young to die. And the Lord said this to him. And Brother Hagin said he didn't understand what it meant for the, at the time that he said it. But the Lord spoke back to him and said, Spiritual laws have been set in motion, and they cannot be changed at this time. Spiritual laws have been set in motion, and they cannot be changed at this time. Well, Brother Hagin said, you know, he got up and didn't tell us what was going on. He just stood up and said, okay, well, no point in praying about it anymore, is there? So he stood up and dismissed the prayer meeting. That was it. Well, he's told us this, and, and again, he's relating the story some weeks or months later. He said that uh, over the next couple of days... It happened just the way the Lord said. The man died. And then the family was gathered together. Some came in from out of town and, and that type of thing for the funeral. And so they're at the, the, um, uh, the funeral home before the service. I think it was the night before. They had the viewing the night before the funeral service the next day. And so he said that um, he's standing there with, uh, with one of the family members. I believe it was his brother. And his brother said, you know, Jim always said that he had never lived to see 40. Well, that caught Brother Hagin's attention. He said, wait, 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 wait. What, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I remember one time we were down by the barn. They grew up on a farm. 
He said, I remember one time we were down by the farm, uh, by the barn, and we had a, a rope swing set up down there in a tree. And he said, we were playing, just having a good time. And he said, we must not have been any more than 14 or 15 years old, something like that. He said, we're playing around, having a good time, doing, doing our thing like kids do. And he said, uh, all of a sudden, he got real serious. Jim got real serious. And he said, you know, I'm not going to live to see 40. And he, and he said, I asked him about it. He said, Jim, what are you talking about? He said, well, I, I just won't live to see 40. And about that time, his mother walked up on the conversation. And she heard what was being said. And she said, oh, yeah, he said that to me several times. And Brother Hagin said, well, what in the world would make him say that? And, she, and neither one of them knew. said, well, we never knew. We, we, we just passed it off as, you know, well, he's just talking, you know. They didn't understand that the spiritual laws were being set in motion. And that's what the Lord was telling him. He had been saying all of his life. Remember what we said, spiritual laws are exercised through words. He began to say. I'll never live to see 40. Well, he died just a few weeks before his 40th birthday. He got what he said. He got exactly what he said. See, folks, the reason that faith works is because faith is a spiritual law. And what does that mean? It means very simply this. When the rules of faith are followed, faith always works. Now, what spiritual laws have you put in motion? Are there things you want to happen or things you don't want to happen? Now, one of the things that the Lord said to me, said to Brother Hagin about this situation has always intrigued me. And that was, he said this, he said, spiritual laws have been set in motion. They cannot be changed at this time. That means if you put the wrong spiritual laws in motion, you can change them under some circumstances. Are you out there? Now, back to the story in Luke chapter 10. The, the 70 come back and they report, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Why in the world were the devils subject to them? What did they do? See, we start talking about spiritual authority and so many times people get kind of weird on you. And I think a lot of it is just due to immaturity. I, I know I made a lot of mistakes where exercising authority or where trying to exercise authority was concerned because I didn't understand the boundaries. And I heard these things and I got all excited and I thought, well, praise God, if I've got spiritual authority, I'm just going to change things the way I want them. And it didn't work. I stepped outside the boundaries that the Bible outlines. Now, notice again, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, behold, I give unto you authority. Not your neighbor. I'm giving it to you. He's talking to the individual about the individual's life. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, all of the enemy's ability. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. In other words, Jesus is saying there's no limit to your authority over the devil in your life. But you start going outside of your life and things that pertain to you and you alone, that's kind of a gray area in many cases. Now, what, why did it work for them? Why is Jesus telling them something that they already have? He's not. Jesus has given them authority to use his name. He's used, they've used the power that's in the name of Jesus, the, not the power that he has now seated at the right hand of the Father. He didn't have that then. Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples in, my, in uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That word power is this word authority too. 
He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus didn't have all authority in heaven and earth when he was here on the earth. The Bible says that, that Satan was stripped of his powers through Jesus' resurrection. Well, that's why Jesus appeared in Matthew 28 following his resurrection and said, all authority is given unto me. He did not have all authority here on the earth. He could not just show up on the earth and say, all right, now I'm here, Mr. Devil. Give me everything you've got. No, he got it through conquest. He obtained it through conquest. That's why the, the Jesus dying on the cross was necessary. That's why Jesus spending three days and nights in the, in the pit of hell was necessary. He died not only physically, he died spiritually. Why? So that you could not only live physically in the, in the blessings of God, but so that you could live spiritually. I know people have a hard time with that, the idea that Jesus died and went to hell. Well, where would you have gone without him? If he went anywhere other than where you would have gone on your own, then he can't be your substitute. I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. I know some people refuse to accept that, and and that's okay. I'm not trying to prove myself right. I just want to know everything that Jesus did for me. That's why this is an issue for me. And when I understand the, the, the suffering of those three days and nights in the pit of hell that Jesus endured, which is what I believe he's drawn back from in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't believe Jesus is drawn back from the physical pain of the cross. He didn't even live as long on the cross as the two thieves on either side of him. I don't think Jesus is wimping out because of physical pain or the threat of physical pain that's facing him. I think he's drawing back from those three days and nights in the pit of hell. Because now all of the, the, the punishment of mankind is unleashed on him. He didn't just get a punishment as if a, an unrighteous man died. He got all of mankind's punishment upon him. That's what the Bible says. So that when Jesus was raised from the dead, when the power of God came back upon Jesus. Now, again, I know this is controversial in some people's mind and idea. It's not for me. The Bible's pretty clear on it in, on, in several places. But if Jesus was made alive in spirit, as the, as the Bible says, if he was made alive in spirit, then that means he had to be dead in spirit. Right? You can't be made alive in spirit unless you were once dead in spirit. So if Jesus was once dead in spirit, that means he was separated from God without any ability of his own to come back into life. I believe that's what Jesus is saying when he said, Father, into your hands, I come in my spirit. He's giving up. Remember, Jesus said when he was here on the earth, he said, no man can take my life. He said, the only way my life can be taken is if I lay it down. But on the cross, he's saying, now, Father, it's not in my hands anymore. I put my spirit in yours. In other words, if he's going to be alive again, I think that's when spiritual death finally took hold of him. If he's going to be alive in spirit again, it's going to be because of what God does, not because of what he does. Every point up until that, every, every moment up until that point in time, Jesus could have called the angels to get him down from the cross. But once he commends his spirit into the hands of the Father, he's spiritually dead. He has no authority. He has no rights. He's not even in power or position the Son of God any longer. He's made sin. In Luke ten nineteen, Jesus gives us, his disciples, authority over all the work of the enemy. That authority was solidified when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. We have authority over the devil and all of his works, the work of sickness, the work of poverty, and the work of sin. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. And we're so accustomed to operating according to natural law, the things that we see and feel, that it takes a while for it to sink in and to retrain ourselves, or as Paul said, renew our minds to how things work spiritually. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.